very good <laughs> too. So um, thank you. Excellent. As was the food and fellowship. Thank you all for that. I appreciate your hospitality and ask that the Lord would continue to bless you and use you here in this place. Um, appreciate the testimonies. It sounds like camp was really fun. And <laughs> so that it's always good when uh, young people can get together. And brother, I've traveled with these young people here at this church and yes, they'll keep you laughing the whole time. <laughs> so, and it's a good thing. I do thank you for your prayers. God has been very good to me and still cancer free. I had a man to ask last week, he said, now are you in remission? I said, no, I'm not. I said, the cancer is gone. And I'm thankful and it's the Lord. And I like telling people what he has done. Ecclesiastes 12 is the place of our reading. And as you can tell, there's a display here. And so we're gonna talk about books and that is the subject before us this afternoon. It will give you some Baptist history using the books which we have brought. And before we read and get into the message, I would ask that you continue to pray that God would use the Baptist History Preservation Society. Uh, we have been very busy over the last two years working to improve uh, the the society, the archives, uh, God has added to it in a lot of ways. He's given us a lot of uh, help putting things together. I know that regardless of whether cancer comes back or not, that I don't have as many more years on this earth as what I've had already. And so I am trying to prepare uh, for what will happen to the work after I am gone, and we do want it to continue. Uh, to that end, uh, we've had several meetings with attorneys, one last week to uh, get things finalized as far as uh, the operating foundation and how things will continue to move forward. If something were to happen to me, uh, things can continue in a way that would glorify the Lord and in the same direction which we have uh, begun. We are working on a new website for the Baptist History Preservation Society, and it's probably within two months of being released. Once it is, there'll be plenty of Baptist history online, all that there has been, plus much, much more. Uh, we'll have a lot of content, video content, audio, uh, visual, we hope that it will be a blessing. There will also be a downloadable Baptist history app. And uh, we've been excited about that for a long time. Uh, you'd be able to download it to your iPhone, uh, other operating systems as well, and punch in where you're traveling and uh, you'll be able to see the Baptist history sites in those areas. In fact, uh, every place that I have traveled in the world. Those coordinates and addresses will be on that app. And uh, it will continue to um, 
to be upgraded on a regular basis as we travel and find more sites and video work in those places will be available also live broadcast if I happen to be in Europe or somewhere in the States, another country at a Baptist history location, uh, you'll get a notification by email if you've given me your email. And broadcasts coming at such and such a time and you can watch from wherever you are at whatever time it is. So uh, there's been a lot of work that is taken place to get to this point and we want the Lord to be pleased and just pray that we'll get it uh, worked out, all of the bugs taken care of. Another product uh, which uh, we're trying to accomplish and we've made good progress with, uh, folks for years have said, we want you to read the Bible, we want you to record the Bible. and. I'm happy to report that the New Testament has already been recorded. Uh, Psalms, Proverbs, uh, in fact, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes I completed last week. And we'll continue working through the Old Testament until it is completed as well. That will also be available on uh, the website and you'll be able to download it. Uh, that's what I'm told anyway. <laughs> I'm not the man for technology. I just... Uh, find the sites and the books and do the reading and uh, let someone else put that together. But they tell me it's, it's happening. So I believe them <laughs> anyway. But pray that the Lord would cause it all to come together and it would be for his glory. If it's not for his glory, I'd just rather it stop now. But Ecclesiastes 12, if you'd stand with me as we read. Verse 10, the preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further, by these, my son, be admonished. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Father, we thank you. For your word, we do ask that you would bless the message this afternoon. Father, we're grateful for what we have heard today and the fellowship that you've given us. And Lord, we ask that you would use this time as well. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Of making many books, there is no end. And what a truth that is. They're rolling off the presses all around the world just as fast as they possibly can. And most of them are fit for nothing. And you have to make a decision if you're going to read. And you should read. And you should study. You have to make the decision to what you'll give your time. And not everything is worth it. And most of the books produced by the world are trash. It's just that simple. As far as what they contain, many so-called Christian books would fall under the same category. Uh, you're going to be wasting your time if you are reading something that does not use the King James Bible. Uh, 
uh, for scripture references. And so you can eliminate that. Don't even need to think about it. Don't waste your time along those lines. So many books. Well, we've brought some books from the archives uh, for you to, um, to see. Now, I'll tell you straight up front, uh, don't touch, please. Um, I shouldn't be without gloves because there's acid in your fingers and over a period of time, it can damage the books. Now, don't get me wrong. I know what's gonna happen to these one day. They'll be burned up with all the rest of them. I understand that. And when the Lord comes back, they'll be gone. But until then, uh, we're gonna try our best to collect the Baptist history materials and to preserve them for uh, the generations that are here until Jesus comes. In uh, hopes and with the desire and prayer that folks will be edified by knowing their heritage, by knowing uh, what God has used others to accomplish and uh, we're grateful for that. Uh, before someone asked, uh, these are acid-free boxes. And they're hopefully to control the pH level of what is stored in them to slow the decay process. And uh, a wide variety of books are here before you. We mentioned Alfred Saker this morning, the missionary to the Cameroon. Here's his biography. And I'll let you look at them. If you want to afterwards, I'll hold them for you. You can take pictures of title pages or the books, whatever you'd like to do and uh, learn. You can look, most of these are out of print, but perhaps you can find them on an old uh, book site. Uh, maybe they've been scanned into, uh, onto the internet so that you can download them, which is another thing that we're doing, we've already got a number of books that are disbound and are being scanned so that they can be put on the website. They'll be fully searchable as well as downloadable and a lot of things along those lines. Here is um, another missionary biography. This is uh, one called The Wades and it's about Jonathan and Deborah Wade. I know you can't see everything from where you're sitting uh, but again, we'll show you afterwards. This is their, their picture, and it's the Wade's Missionaries to Burma. And uh, these are um, New Yorkers. Uh, they went from New York to Burma, and uh, Jonathan Wade, some of you remember, was the first student and first graduate of Hamilton. And uh, he uh, was saved under the ministry of a Mesa Brown over in Hartford, New York, and then enrolled uh, there at Hamilton. Daniel Haskell was his teacher. Here is a, a book written by Haskell. He's also buried over at Hamilton. It's called The Elements of Theology, 1847. And it's just talking about basic doctrinal truth. That's what they taught there in the school. He was also the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Hamilton, and God used him. Most of these books are rare, hard to find, so uh, it's good when we can get copies of them. Uh, this is, and I may have uh, had this with me on a previous occasion. I'll not open it all the way, but this is the original handwritten letter from Jonathan Wade and Eugenio Kincaid, and both of them in the first graduating class from Hamilton. This letter is expressing their desire to the administration, pray for us, advise us, 
we want to go to Burma and labor with Adoniram Judson as missionaries. And they say in here that they are willing to leave their country, their homes, their families, friends, possessions, their all, if just one, if they could see one Burman at the judgment seat of Christ, or just one convert, we'll do all of that. And in here, it talks about Jonathan Wade going to, to Burma and how God used him. And he would minister to the Korean people. That was the jungle people in Burma. And when he got there, there were two churches among the Korean people with about 250 members. So he began laboring among them. And they're in the jungle, so they couldn't get in there in the rainy season. They would labor in Tavoy, Dawei as it's called today. And then they go into the jungles whenever it was the dry season. And he would preach, people would get saved, and they would meet in one central village. They built a Zayat, they called it, like a gazebo, and it would be a little place. There are thousands of them all around that country, even today, where the people could get out of the sun for just a little while and rest. And they, they built a Zayat that would hold about 20 ladies. And while Jonathan Wade was out in the jungles preaching, then those ladies who had been saved would allow Deborah Wade to teach them the word of God and teach him how to pray. And so they quickly filled that Zayat. They con continually had to, to build a larger one until at the last there were so many ladies coming that they, they built one that would, would hold 500 people. And it was overflowing with ladies all the time. And people getting saved, when they got older, they'd have to carry them into the jungles and carry them to their appointments on their chairs. They'd put poles under the chairs and the servants would just take them wherever they needed to go. And he would preach. And you remember, uh, we'll, we'll leave everything if we could see one Berman at the judgment seat of Christ. She died after 45 years in Burma. He was there until he had labored 50 years before the Lord called him home. And when he died, there were over 250 churches in those jungles, Baptist churches in those jungles, and over 18,000 members. You just give me one, I'll go. The Lord will give you more than what you ask. And he did to him. What a blessing it is. Oh, by the way, he developed their alphabet and wrote their dictionary and translated their scriptures so they'd have the word of God. And God used him. And folks, he'll use us the same way. And you say, well, I mean, I'll have 18,000 converts. Would you labor if you could have just one at the judgment seat of Christ? Would you be willing to do that? Yes, I know you folks. I know that you would, and I know that you do. And it does make a difference. Uh, we had this book this morning. 
Benjamin Franklin, written by Jeremiah Chaplin. He was president one time, Hamilton, he's buried there. And of course, uh, Brother Dunbar is familiar with this. Uh, the biography of Duncan Dunbar, also written by Jeremiah Chaplin, one of the best books I've ever read. Also, Chips from the White House. Uh, he just examined the records of presidents and statesmen and how they talked about the Lord. Here's one that's close to you, uh, Millard Fillmore. And he, from a message, uh, December 1850, Fillmore said, the great law of morality ought to have a national as well as a personal and individual application. That's how he let off his speech as he was addressing uh, America. And so there are speeches in here by numerous presidents and um, Chaplin was very good to record those things. Another by him, here's the life of Henry Dunster, written by Chaplin. And of course, Dunster was the first president of Harvard College. And he's the one that they kicked out of the presidency whenever he became a Baptist. All right, if you want to be a Christian, but you can't be a Baptist and stay here. And so he, he found the truth and he labored for the Lord Jesus Christ for the rest of his life, helping to get the First Baptist Church in Boston established. And I know some of you young people have been with us on a trip down to that area. And I, there's a lot here to cover. I'll answer questions afterwards. And I generally do speak quickly and try and move along, but I know that things are, they are being recorded, right? And so you can get it and listen to it later if you'd like and slow it down as much as you'd like to. Uh, Baptists were instrumental in writing the hymns. And this is an old hymnal that we have here. And if I can get the title page uh, open. It is 1836. It's called uh, A New Selection of Gospel Hymns or Hymns of Praise. And uh, this was written, put together, compiled rather. Some of the hymns were written by Edward Mote. Mote was the Baptist preacher in Sussex, England. He labored there for many years. He was well known for being doctrinally sound. And that was reflected in the hymns that he penned. And uh, this book here marks the first time that his most famous hymn appeared in print. It's in this book and it's called The Solid Rock. And um, great, uh, great Baptist preacher. Another one, uh, Joseph Stennett, also a hymn writer, as was his father before him and his son after him. Uh, Joseph Stennett, this is a, a defense of Baptist principles, 1704 is the date of this book, and Stennett was himself imprisoned for his faith there in England. His father before him was Samuel Stennett, brilliant preacher. All of them pastored the little Wild Street Baptist Church in succession there in London. God used them in a great way. Uh, Samuel Stennett, you know his on Jordan Stormy Banks, I stand and cast a wishful eye. So uh, very much used family in uh, Baptist history. And by the way, I, I appreciate about that about this church. You see the families that, uh, that, um, that serve together. And uh, that's always a good thing. And I, I caught the 
the first and second generation, third generation Christian references, and I hope that will continue to as many generations as there is until Jesus comes. So that's what you want, and uh, that is a blessing. Uh, here is a first edition copy of Morgan Edwards' materials towards a history of the American Baptist. This particular one is uh, History of the Baptist in Pennsylvania, and this is in 1780 that he released this. Edwards, of course, traveled all over America on horseback, compiling uh, histories of individual Baptist churches in the different uh, colonies at that time and then the states. And he would measure the old meeting houses and he'd list that. And he, he would tell if it had a stove. That was a very big thing in those. That was the modern uh, innovation is to have a stove in the meeting house so you could keep warm uh, if the preacher ran out of hot air. <laughs> and anyway, just so much. He'd list the preachers and, and everything. And so we owe him uh, a great debt because of the details he recorded. This particular book here is called Bunhill Memorials. And I don't know if any of you have had the opportunity to travel to, to London. If so, if you've been able to visit Bunhill Fields. Now, Baptist always got a bad name. Uh, the Catholics, the Protestants, you know, they called us um, dissenters. You Baptists are always causing trouble. You just don't get along with us. Well, doctrine divides. And so we're not going to agree with some. We'll be kind to them. Uh, we will not persecute them. We'll be good to them. But we will not agree with them if their doctrine is wrong. And they don't like that for some reason. And so they would persecute us. And they'd call us dissenters. And Bunhill Fields is the dissenters' burying ground. Not only did they despise us when we were alive, they wouldn't allow us to be buried in their cemeteries when we died. And so they created there in London, just one of the places, Bunhill Fields. This one's the most famous. And it's telling you uh, about those people, those dissenters who are buried there. And there are others besides Baptists. For instance, Isaac Watts is buried there in Bunhill Fields. John Bunyan, the Baptist, is buried there at Bunhill Fields. It's a fabulous place to visit. This book will give biographical sketches of many of the people interred there and will tell you how to find them. Uh, along the wall as they built the place, uh, the wall on uh, one side and the back side, uh, there are letters and then numbers. And so that you could uh, determine what row a person was buried by using that system. And so many are, are buried there. Uh, Samuel Stennett, we just mentioned him, the hymn writer, he is buried there. John Ryland is buried there. John Gill, uh, the great Baptist commentator, is buried there. And on and on and on it goes. Uh, Joseph Swain, Baptist hymn writer. Uh, Jonathan Hart, the hymn writer, is buried there. And Hart, until he was in his 40s, was an infidel, wanted nothing to do with God. Uh, he reproached those who claimed to be Christian, and then he got saved. <laughs> and instantly, he began to preach the word of God. God only gave him 11 years after he got saved to live. But he had such an effect in those 11 years that when he died, 
and they buried in, in Bun Hill Fields, over 20,000 people attended his funeral. That's something. And uh, God using his most well-known hymn, uh, Come, uh, Come Ye Weary and Come Ye Sinners, that's uh, very good, just on and on. The stories, this book is filled with those type stories. Uh, some of those who authored these remaining books are buried in that cemetery. And again, I'll answer more questions. I'll answer questions afterwards and however you'd like. Uh, but here's a book, a Believer's Baptism from Heaven and of Divine Institution, Infant's Baptism from Earth and Human Invention. They loved long titles in those days. This is 1691 and written by a Baptist preacher. It's called an apologetic. That doesn't mean that we're saying we're sorry for what we believe. It means that this is a defense of what we believe. And very good, very sound. And in case any of you ladies are looking for good uh, Baptist heritage names uh, for your children, here's one. This preacher's name was Hercules Collins. And uh, he was an, yes, and he was just that among the Baptists. He was a great man of God. I, I've got a lot more of those names too if you're interested. Uh, but this is another apologetic, 1673. Uh, is the, the date of publication at Henry Danvers. We try to collect the first editions. They are more expensive if you can find them, but that allows folks to have a place where they can come and see what was actually said when it was written because people are rewriting history. And they don't think a thing about, if they don't mind changing God's word, they'll change any book they can right. if they disagree with it. And that's what they do very often. So um, Henry Danvers imprisoned in England for his Baptist faith in his 80s. And it didn't matter to them how old you were, how young, uh, what you looked like, how, didn't matter. Now maybe how much money you had, that didn't make a difference with Kiffin. But uh, otherwise, you'd have to suffer for what you believe. And uh, this one is a treatise of baptism. And of course you have a treatise, uh, which is uh, a full length book, and then you have a tractus, which is a, a smaller writing. And that's the reason why you hand out gospel tracts. You have a tractus and a treatise. And so here's a treatise, another one on the subject of baptism. This is the autobiography of John Gonneau. He was another, uh, he wasn't a native New Yorker, but he spent a lot of time here. Pastor in the First Baptist Church in New York City is a friend of George Washington, baptized Washington, you remember during the war for American independence. And by the way, that's the correct way to refer to that. That's another thing that they're trying to change historically speaking. They wanna make us look like the bad people. American Revolution, Revolutionary War. No, it was the war for American independence. And uh, we were right to do what we did and praise the Lord that we did. But John Gano, and here's the story of him uh, fighting there uh, in the Battle of White Plains on Chatterton's Hill. And he says in here that he knew his time during the struggle was with the wounded and dying. But when he saw more than half the army fleeing from the sound of the cannon, he couldn't help himself. He had to pick up a rifle and push toward the, the front. And so here are all these men running away 
from the enemy. Here's a Baptist preacher. He's running towards them. And it inspired many of the others to turn and follow him and make their stand. And it's a blessing. But uh, a very good biography. Uh, that is one that is in print today, by the way, if you would like to uh, find a copy of that. Here's one, a treatise of the Holy Trinity. This is by Isaac Marlowe, another well-known Baptist preacher in England. 1690 is the date on this one. And it's talking about the Godhead, one of the finest uh, works I've ever read on the subject next to the Bible, you understand. But you can learn a lot of things from these books. Is it the same as reading the Bible? No. If you have a choice of reading the Bible, read another book, choose the Bible every time. Uh, but um, you understand that in some cases, take an old man who has studied his Bible all of his life, and he believes it. And by the way, everyone, every book we've got up here, every one of the authors were King James Bible believers. They didn't have anything else. King James Bible. So you get somebody who has labored and they've studied and they've plowed through that King James Bible for many, many, many years. You can get sometimes by sitting down and reading for a couple hours, you can get what took them a lifetime to accumulate as far as knowledge. Therein lies the value of reading. Always though, everything's subject to that King James Bible because these books are not perfect. It is a perfect book. But you can learn. Isaac Marlowe writing on uh, the Trinity. And now here is a book by Benjamin Keach. Benjamin Keach, this one is called uh, Light Broke Forth in Wales, Expelling Darkness, 1696. It's one of uh, Keach. He authored 42 books. And uh, the Baptist History Preservation Society has seven first editions of his books. They're very rare. This is a first edition. It's talking about what God did uh, there in Wales, uh, working among uh, men like uh, Henry Williams, Vavasor Powell, and others who were Baptist, and God using them to plant churches and uh, to do a great work in that place. Keach, of course, you remember that he suffered for his faith, uh, he was put in the stocks on the public square there in Winslow, England for writing a book to teach children how to read. And they said, you've got to be put in the stocks. Your accusation is going to be pasted to your forehead. We're going to pile your books in a pile in front of you and burn them. That's what they did. And in those days, if you were put in the stocks, they viewed you as a criminal. And so the people would ridicule you, they'd spit upon you, they'd slap you, they would pelt you with stones, other objects, just because they had a disdain for crime. And it might be something we ought to bring back in some instances, but you understand what I'm saying. Whenever they thought you did something wrong, and he was not wrong in what he did, they punished you for it. And so while he's in the stocks, the people did not spit upon him. And they did not ridicule him. They didn't slap him, threw nothing at him. Instead, much to the chagrin of the authorities, they asked the Baptist preacher. Now these Protestants, they asked him, will you preach for us? And so he was able to get one of his hands out of the stocks, reach into his pocket and pull out his testament and open it, read the text, and preach. That's what God did for that man, even though he had to suffer 
for what he believed. He is the one who introduced, reintroduced hymn singing to the Baptist churches. Baptists had stopped singing because to sing, to lift their voices in song, the authorities would hear them and find them. They could put them in prison and persecute them for meeting. So the Baptist had stopped singing. He said it's wrong. One of the books he wrote is called A Breach and God's, and God's Worship Repaired. He said we have to start singing. And he began to write hymns. He's known as the father of English Baptist hymnody. And he wrote hymns and they sang one at his meeting house one Lord's Day. Church split right down the middle. Some have said we're not going to do that. We're, we, that's not something we're used to doing and we're not going to and so they left. But he continued for five years, once a month, they'd sing a hymn. And you remember the story, in the next five years he added one. Next five years after 15 years they're singing three hymns a month. Now not every Lord's Day, just per month. Took 20 years before every Lord's Day they're singing one hymn. Could you imagine being here and not being able to sing those hymns? This is a singing church and you love it and you enjoy it and do it well. Again, we owe that Baptist preacher a great debt because it, he, he reintroduced the hymn singing. How much of a trouble was it? Well, Isaac Marlowe, his good friend, wrote against him, said we shouldn't sing. Uh, we ought not. And uh, somebody in here said it already to me today, but great men are not always wise. And uh, praise the Lord when we get something right, but it doesn't always happen. And uh, the story of Benjamin Keach's son, Elias Keach. Here's a book written by him in 1699, a discourse of the nature and excellency of the grace of patience delivered in two sermons. So he wrote a book on patience. And Elias Keach came to America in 1688. He was running from God. <clears throat> he didn't want anything to do with his father. He didn't want anything to do with his father's faith. He didn't want anything to do with the Baptist. He didn't want anything to do with the book. So he's going to run from God. And how many times have you read a story about somebody trying to run from God? How are you going to run from someone who's everywhere? You can't do it. You run right into him. And so when he got to America... Uh, those Baptists from uh, England and Wales who had made their way to Philadelphia, they had started meeting and uh, they needed someone to preach to them. Well, they heard that Benjamin Keach's son is in America. And so uh, they met him and said, well, you preach to us. And he's not a preacher, not even a Christian. But he thinks, I've heard enough of my father's messages. I, I can do this. And I've got a find some way to support myself here in America, yes, I'll be your preacher. And so first, first message, uh, he's preaching, does pretty good, history says, about halfway through until he breaks down and he starts weeping. I said, preacher, are you okay? Now, what's wrong? And uh, he finally, when he gained his composure, confessed that he was an imposter. He said, not only am I not a preacher, I'm not a Christian. He had preached himself under conviction. And he became his own first convert. <clears throat> I'm say. And um, Thomas Dungan, the old Baptist preacher in Cold Spring, Pennsylvania, baptized him, ordained him to the ministry, and he became the first pastor 
of what is today the oldest Baptist church in Pennsylvania, the Pentapac Baptist Church. And uh, founded in 1688, God used him in a great way, Elias, until he returned to, <clears throat> to England. And uh, God continued to use him there until he called him home. Uh, this is one of the more expensive books in uh, the collection. It's a first edition John Bunyan. Now, not Pilgrim's Progress, but it is a first edition Bunyan. And uh, I don't know everything that's in collection, but last week also uh, we, we've had folks to start coming in and they're photographing uh, all the books, spine, cover, title page. Uh, they're also attaching, if any of you know what an RFID tag is, radio frequency identification, uh, and it will have a barcode on it so that anywhere that it is in the archives, I can take a handheld uh, scanner, enter that number, and it'll tell me exactly where it is. Just point it out to me. So um, we're trying to do what we can uh, to, uh, to make it efficient and to preserve it. By the way, once that process is done and all the information is entered, uh, we... Um, It'll be searchable online, and we'll be able finally, for the first time ever uh, in 30 years, to ensure the collection. Uh, and no way you could replace it. It's impossible. But you just don't want to lose everything. Uh, God forbid uh, uh, a catastrophe happen. We've moved the collection. It's all together now. Uh, it's in uh, a storage facility that we found that met all the criteria in Knoxville, Tennessee. And that's where the work is all being done and where the people are who know what they're doing are located. And um, so it's going well. But this particular one, it's called Differences in Judgment About Water Baptism, No Bar to Communion. And written by John Bunyan in 1673. To my knowledge, this is the only first edition copy of this book in America. And so we have some very rare books and um, very unique books in the collection. Uh, and this is another example of great men are not always wise. Man who wrote the Pilgrim's Progress, the most published book in the history of the world next to the King James Bible also wrote this book. It's probably why it's so rare because it didn't catch on. Uh, water baptism, no bar to communion. What John Bunyan is saying is it doesn't matter what a person believes uh, they can sit down with us here at our church at the Lord's table. Doesn't matter whether they are baptized or what kind of baptism and from whom they received it. Why did he do that? I don't know. Maybe because he had been persecuted so much he wanted to prove we're not like you. We're not going to treat you the same way. I don't know. It's purely speculation why he might have done that. That's the only thing I can come up with. But history has proven he's wrong because it ruined the church that he pastored. It's no longer a Baptist church because people who believed differently came in and once they gained the majority, they made decisions based on what they believed. And so it does matter what a person believes. That's why you're a pastor. And I'm hoping every one of you ought to jealously and zealously guard the membership of Freedom Baptist Church in Auburn, New York. 
Why? Because doctrine does divide. And if you can work together, you'll do it in a doctrinal way according to the Word of God. And then lastly, one of my favorites, uh, this is a book written by Abel Morgan. And this is 1750. Abel Morgan was pastor of the oldest Baptist church in New Jersey. It was started in Middletown in the 1660s. Uh, Morgan had a debate. You can visit the place there in New Jersey, Cape May, New Jersey, where the first Baptist church was located. He debated Samuel Finley, who was president of Princeton University, Presbyterians. He debated him on the subject of baptism. You folks, I hope you'll not take this in a wrong manner. It would take a Baptist who was entirely ignorant of the scriptures to lose a debate on the subject of baptism. Why? Because we're on the side of the Bible. And it's on our side. And what we believe can be defended and maintained from the scriptures. And Abel Morgan soundly defeated the president of Princeton University. It made him angry. And Finley wrote a book called Antipedo-Rantism. Why, you Baptist, Antipedo-Baptist is what they call us. Pedo-Baptist is child baptizing. We're anti-Pedo-Baptist. We're against that. Why, we only baptize those who are able to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And so uh, Morgan was forced to write a reply. He said, anti-Pedo-Rantism defended. And uh, that's what he wrote. Uh, this book, of course, is very expensive, but it appealed to me. I pray, Lord, help us to find these things so we can use them for your glory. And when he shows them to you, what do you do? I mean, you, it's not an everyday occurrence. We, we purchase those books if we can. And, uh, of course, this book appealed to me. It, it's written by a Baptist preacher. The subject is baptism. Uh, what gave rise to the book is uh, a baptismal debate. Uh, further, it was owned, and his signature is in the book, David Jones. David Jones was one of the seven commissioned Baptist chaplains in the war for American independence. He pastored several well-known churches in New Jersey and uh, in Pennsylvania. God used him. Several of you young people have been to his grave. He's buried at the Baptist Church in the Great Valley in Devon, Pennsylvania. And God used him whenever uh, the troops were about to march into battle. They'd get David Jones and take him to where the troops were located and he'd preach to them. And he would preach his famous message, a defensive war and a just cause, sinless. And when he finished preaching, the troops would stand. Before they marched away, they'd stand and cheer the Baptist preacher for preaching the word of God. It doesn't happen nowadays, does it? Uh, anyway, um, his signature is in the book three times. In the back of the book, uh, his signature is also accompanied by the date, and it's 1760, which we history tells us that David Jones was part of the student class 
that attended the first school in America started for the purpose of training Baptist men for the ministry in Hopewell, New Jersey. Isaac Eaton was the pastor of the Hopewell Baptist Church. He'd have those men in his home, David Jones, John Gano, Samuel Stillman, Hezekiah Smith, some of the great preachers in America he trained and it would have been, the date 1760, that would have been while that class was taking place. More than likely then, that means that this was a textbook that they used in that class. And after David Jones died, the book went to his nephew, Horatio Gates Jones. And we mentioned this morning that Samuel Colgate started the Baptist, American Baptist Historic Society by his gift of 30,000 volumes. Uh, Horatio Gates Jones also gave many thousands of volumes to that collection and this is one of them that was in that collection. And you can see the, uh, the Crozer Theological Seminary stamp, which that was right up here in Rochester. That's where it's, it was for many years. And uh, of course, uh, that's called provenance, something that's attached to the book that was not there when it was printed. Signatures, uh, dates, that type thing. Uh, but that wasn't the reason why the bookseller wanted so much money for it. I don't know, preacher, if uh, you can tell us who it was that, that uh, printed this book. It's named right here. Benjamin Franklin? Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. So he personally printed uh, this book. That's as good a provenance as it gets. And keeping those things, telling the stories. Uh, we're trying to do video work of all these books that will be attached to the database. Uh, where you can click on it and you can hear the story behind the books. You can hear what it's about, book report, on what it contains. Uh, but we have a great history. And sometimes it's just not all together in a history book. But you can take books and you can pull the history out of them. And you can tell uh, by what's written in the books, who owned the book, the date it was written. You can tell what was going on in history. And uh, you can tell, uh, you can go from a letter chronicling someone's desire and, uh, to the history book telling just how God answered that prayer. And it, it is really good. And you also take the knowledge, saints, that God wants to use people. He wants to use you. And he is using you. He wants to use you as long as you live. And when he calls you home, he wants to be able to give you a reward for your labor. And uh, it ought to be our desire, as it is his, that we bring forth fruit for his labor. And that the saints be strengthened, that, that people are saved and that churches are planted and missions work is accomplished. And we stay true to, uh, to what the Bible tells us we ought to as a people who are concerned with doctrine. And so I encourage you by the things that are, have been shown and said this afternoon to continue just that way in this church uh, as you have started. Continue that way until Jesus comes.